and welcome to episode 134 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? You're just giving me a very weird look all of a sudden. I have such big news. Oh, okay. You look very excited. Uh-huh. Are you going to tell me right now, or are we going to get to it later in one of our amazing segments of On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, and On the Nightstand? I have an On the Needles. <gasps> Ooh! Do you want to go first, then? Uh-huh. Okay, let's do it. On the Needles. I finished it. The seven-year sweater? Yes! Oh my gosh! This is the Mondo Cable Cardi that I'm pretty sure is like maybe 13 years now. We were calling it my 7 8 sweater because it was 7 8 done for a decade. And the other night, I felt like I was just on my phone, on, the, on my iPad too much. And so I was like, I'll just look at this and see. Because if anybody has been here for a minute, you know that I've had a lot of problems with this sweater. It still has a lot of problems. <laughs> but I'm over it. Because I finished it. I have to block it. And so I have some questions. Okay. The collar is definitely a little darker than the body in some areas because yarn, hand-dyed yarn. I even forget who the yarn... I think it was Madeline Tosh. It was Madeline Tosh or Malabrigo. It was one of the M's. I think it was Madeline Tosh and it's something like Midnight or some some color. It's a beautiful color. It's a beautiful color. It pretty much fits. It's a little snug across the chest. No surprise there. I think it'll block. That's my biggest question. Because <laughs> otherwise, it's kind of great. That's so amazing. But I sent you that little video, the clip of the lady who knit a sweater and like one arm was longer than the other. <laughs> and it was just, she was so joyful when she put it on and it was just the craziest sweater. And I thought, who cares? It's not doing me any good in that project bag. Nope. And I'm cold a lot right now. And that's a big cozy one. It was so warm to knit up the collar and it went pretty fast. I did it in three nights. I am beyond proud of myself. That's so awesome. And I'm so glad to be done of it. And in the <laughs> middle of it, you know, I told my husband, oh, I'm just going to, I'm trying to finish this up before Thursday so I can talk about it on the podcast. And he was like, I will retire when you finish that sweater. <laughs> so last night I was like, well, you should turn your retirement papers in because I finished the sweater. And he said, it doesn't look finished because I haven't woven in all the ends. I'm like, I'm finished knitting it. I said, well, I have to block it. And he said, well, then I will turn in the... (laughs) So he's really dragging his feet on that. Yeah. Yay, that's so exciting. And I was all set to like pick out what I'm going to knit next, except I haven't had internet. So it's been like very knitting conducive right up until I needed another pattern. Mm, That's true. I... Am thrilled, I can and I tell. you should be. Yeah, that was a big sweater. It is. It's a big front cable knit cardigan, and it has a four inch collar on it, which looks a little weird right now. But I do not care. The thing is done. I can wear it. It has two full entire sleeves, which is saying something. And they're I, both about the same length. They're both about the same length. There is some pooling for sure. There is a hole along the collar where I did something wrong. I'm just going to go in and do a suture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's full of mistakes. 
But none of them are really visible mistakes. Yeah, that You might notice them, but nobody walking down the street is going to be like, oh, look at that lady. And I think it might be the warmest sweater I own. Because yeah, I have what a I lot remember, of, it's pretty like pretty thin store bought. Yeah, nice. How fun! Thank you. Ah, oh, that I, is big news. That is a great way to start the year. Yeah, it's huge. Right? In fact, I'm going to put it in my planner as an achievement. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, how I, about you? What do you have? Nothing quite so exciting. Just been chugging along. I I was trying to do the same thing and finish my Ilha sweater. I am really close. I have maybe. Two inches and a cuff on the second sleeve, and then there's a little bit of collar. It's not even a collar. You pick up and you knit one round and then you bind off immediately. It just gives it a little bit of structure up at the top. So there's very little to be done. I've just been going out a lot at night and not having time to sit down and knit, which is sad. That one should be done next time. I'm very excited. It's looking good. You can kind of see it one part where, because hand-dyed yarn. It looked the same in the skeins, and it's just a little bit different. And did I alternate skeins? No, I did not. So I'm not fixing it because it's all the way back up near the arm split. So I will live with it. And it's not, it's not noticeable. It's probably the kind of thing that like, if I take a picture, you can probably see it, but I don't know that anybody will actually notice it in real life or they might. Nobody should be looking at that area that closely anyway, but I tried it on and it fits. I think the sleeves, I haven't tried it on with the sleeves being done. I tried them on to make sure I was where I wanted to be before I started the cuff. That is going right along and should be done shortly, I hope. And then everything else I've kind of been working on here and there. Got a little bit more done on my Rome shawl with the assigned pooling. We went back to visit my big kid in Charleston for the weekend. So that I did have plain knitting that I could do. And I, I did some of that. But then I, I realized that originally the pattern said, repeat this set of rows 43 times or something. And then she updated it to say until you have this much yarn left, which is great, because then you don't have to count and blah, 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 except that you do need I guess you could estimate, but you sort of need a scale, to, which is fine. I have a scale. I did not take my scale on the plane. So I'm knitting and I'm thinking, I feel like I'm getting close. I don't know exactly how close I am. So I sort of have to put that one on hold and I need to weigh it, see where I am and get it to a point to where I start. the. There's a border that's a different stitch pattern. So I need to figure out what that pattern is and when I need to start it so that I can finish that up. But that is getting within sight of the finish line. So I'm pretty excited about that because I started that last summer. I got a little bit done in my Adventuresome Wrap by Amber O'Brien using my Canon hand-dyed Victorian Gothic Advent set. I think I did maybe half of the next color stripe. So that's a little bit. I've, I've really been focusing on the sweater. So even during the day when I had time which is when I like to work on the wrap because it has patterning and paying more paying attention than sleeves, for example. I've been working on the sweater instead of that. Whether or not scarf is coming along, we haven't had any terribly exciting weather. I mean, we've had rain, but that does not get counted. My OMG heel socks in the Regia Perfect Norland, which is, it's patterned so that you know when to start the cuff, or you start with the cuff and then you know when to start the leg and you know when to start the heel. I did figure out the heel and then it goes back into like a just plain, well, gray with little blue blips. And then when it, it says when you get to the red again, which is your toe, you're supposed to start the toe, but it's definitely not long enough for my husband's foot yet. So I need to, I guess, 
keep going and hopefully there will be enough red <laughs> to to finish off the toe even though I'm doing still doing the foot. We shall see. It's a little bit of an adventure and I need to measure it and figure out how much farther I need to go, which makes it slightly less purse useful. Does that kind of yarn in my brain I'm thinking, I wonder how they figured that out if they maybe Ah, I'd like to think that she knit a sock in white or cream and then dip dyed the areas that were toe and heel or marked them somehow with a Sharpie and then unrolled it. <laughs> I would like to think it's like that. Well, A, it's a big company, international. No. So probably so not. So probably not. <laughs> Josie sitting in her croft knitting the sock. I mean, it could be. Or, I mean, I guess it's a German company, so Gwynhild sitting in her So it is definitely mathed. I think it's math. I mean, I'm basing it on uh, Gage Dye Works, because when she started coming out with her yarns, it was all, she was, I believe she was a mathematician, but she definitely said, I figured out the math, and that's how I dye these things. Oh, thank you for ruining the fairy tale. Sorry. (laughs) I, I could be wrong. I don't actually know. That's just Gage Dye Works. Regia might, you know, have hired little cottage German ladies to figure it out. You know, I mean, there aren't as many Hansels and Gretels walking through the woods, so the, the witches have to figure out something else to do. That is true. Magic. Math. I mean, <laughs> knitting is magic. Anyway, so those are, those are going along. And as always, once you get the first one done, the second one should go more quickly. But it was fun because I didn't think when I was looking at the pattern, they had a picture of it on the ball band. And it didn't seem like there was quite as much going on. And they are much more patterned than I had expected. I don't, my husband, I don't think, will have a problem with it. He generally, he will happily wear very patterned knit socks. I was expecting just a little bit of patterning at the top and then a lot of gray. And it's just all sorts of things going on. So it's kind of fun. Made it a little more interesting. And then I do actually have a finished object. I had forgotten that my husband wanted a new hat. We had talked about it. He has his side career now as a jazz musician. He is playing out all the time, but a lot of time they're in these little clubs, they're playing outside. So he likes to have a little hat to keep his head warm. And he has a a black beanie that I knit him years ago. And he has a couple of them that I've knit, but he wanted a new one. And I said, and I forget how we, he was asking if it could have maybe a stripe or a little bit of patterning. So it wasn't just a plain hat, which sure, that sounds interesting. And for my birthday, he bought me the Knitovation Stitch Dictionary by Andrea Rangel which is her second. The first one was alternate stitch, and I have that one as well. They both have just tons of fun stitch patterns, and a lot of them are sort of basic foliage designs and nature and geometric, but then they also have things like robots and music notes. And so I thought for my piano playing husband, that would be the way to go. And she puts some little patterns in there for like a hat and a sweater and a cowl so that you you can see how to incorporate the stitch pattern into the object that you want to make. Very fun. So I grabbed some Knit Pick Swish DK in Dove Heather, which is a light gray. So that was the main color. And then black for the notes. And it has some little stripes on it. So it sort of looks like they're on the, what do we call it? The, <laughs> the music paper. I don't know. I didn't ever play. I don't know what we call it. You guys know what I mean. It took me, I don't know, two days of knitting. Hats are so fast. It was fun to do. He did not notice me doing it. And then I blocked it. So for hats, I blow up a balloon and stick it on there to let it dry. So it has that round shape instead of doing it flat. 
And that was in the dining room behind him <laughs> for two days <laughs> as well. And he did not notice that either. So when I presented it to him, he was going out to a gig on Sunday morning. He thought it was just amazing. And when did this happen? And what's going on? I was like, just not paying attention, which was fine. I didn't think he would. But so that was very fun and exciting and nice to have one final finished object for the pigskin party playoffs party uh, <laughs> with down cellar that, studio. That football does that the football, football does it correspond to the football stuff? Yes. Like okay. So we are done. Did not get the full points for my playoff prediction. We won't talk about that. Yeah, it was rough at my house too. Ugh. That was bad. It was bad. But yeah, so almost done with a couple of things and uh to figure out what I'm gonna do next as Me well. Me too. So fun. <laughs> I did tell my big kid I would need him a sweater. So I should probably get started on that. Oh my gosh. That's going to take forever, though. I'm excited, but I'm also feeling I'm feeling conflicted about it. He's a large child at this my point. My kids run around in shorts and a t-shirt. Like, they run way too hot for... Oh, well, he I wants have this... have to do something super lightweight. He wants this for sailing, uh, so he's out uh, on the cold water. Like so. a proper Irish fisherman sweater. Yeah, something like that. So, So I think that's all our needles... So exciting. What a great needle section. So on the easel. Thanks, Monica. In large part, the reason why I have had so, well, a little bit more time the past two weeks is because I am doing a project that I cannot yet talk about. I've asked for permission to share with you all because I think it'll make for a super interesting story in more ways than one. I'm plugging away at that. I'm drawing so much and I can't wait to tell everyone the crazy things that I've been drawing, but I can't. And that makes for a very, very short easel section. I do want to mention though, my field guides that I've been drawing, I have been painting a few of them on the birch panel, and I think I mentioned that. I tried to scan one that was on a birch panel, and it came out terrible because of the nature of a scanner. It likes things to be flat, and a birch panel is, you know, stands almost an inch tall. So it wasn't really the best scenario, and I have caught myself thinking, I need to change this up if this is something that's going to be a series on paper, which I think would be super fun. And then the other thing that I'm drawing, which I had totally forgotten about, I wanted to make myself a little tag, you know, now that I'm a professional knitter. Yeah. <laughs> I finished a first sweater, so don't give me any rope on this. Like I'm just, <laughs> this is all tongue in cheek, but I do want to make a label like for the handmade clothes that I do and for the once every 15 years I finish an, a knitting object. And I I thought that I had made something in the summertime. I went back through, I don't know, four sketchbooks, couldn't find anything. I went through the pile of tattoo art that I had done because I had worked on a lot of tattoos this summer. I thought it would be in there and I just couldn't find it anywhere. I finally went through my phone and I had sent it to my friend Kelly in New England and was like, I'm thinking about this for when I make clothes or a cool bag or whatever. And she loved that idea. And it says, it doesn't have my name. It says California sister. And it has like a little butterfly, like a California sister butterfly. I'm the sister who lives in California. 
I love butterflies. It's not my name because I'm not a big put my name on things kind of person anyway. That feel that feels like when the kids were at the co-op and we'd put their labels. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I found my original artwork and I'm going to have some tags made. Do you have tags for your oh, fun. knitwear? Uh, not personal ones. I have some that I got that have like this is the back with a little yeah. sheep on them. Maybe have some handmade ones, but nothing personalized. I thought about it, but... I would just like to offer you my services should you want to come sure. up with a cute label. Yeah. I'm going to try out a couple different custom label purveyor people that I found on Etsy and see what works best. That's kind of it from the easel. It's It's a big top secret, my quarter one project that I'm calling it, that I can't wait. Hopefully, I'll be able to share at some point. Excellent. Yeah. No. Have you been posting the field guides on your Instagram? A couple of them. That latest one, like I said, it did not scan well, which is heartbreaking, but maybe I'll have her take a picture of it on the wall so Mm. that you can see the spine a little bit like the bonsai one. Yeah. I think that that might be the way to go. And then I'm going to try to do the rest on paper. Nice. Oh, that's true. Because you have the the binding and the, you have the, the painting on the edges of the yeah. The panel yeah. as well. Yeah. It's that tricky. is important. Because I was thinking you could do like a field guide to January, a field guide to February. That is a great idea. I know you were thinking you wanted to get away from the calendar, but... People really love the I'll, calendar. I'll just throw that out there. I was also thinking like a field guide to all things blue and just random things that are blue and sure, purple yeah. and I don't know. Yeah. There's a million ideas. So many ideas. And I, when I have time in between big projects i sketch and draw and i'm my happiest best self and you finish sweaters and i finish sweaters which is an out and out miracle oh so exciting i know what are we going to talk about now all right podcast is over my next sweater (laughs) there we go which i have yarn hanging in the closet for from stitches which yarn i have what'd you get the green i think it's miss babs oh yes and I have yarn to make the pressed flower. Oh, right. Cowl, I think. But now I want to make the cardigan. Mm. And I don't have enough yarn for that. What do I do? Buy more. <laughs> if okay. only there was a Bay Area yarn crawl coming up where you could purchase lots of yarn and see it and in you, person. But will I run into the same pooling thing? Possibly. Well, except that it's... There's a design, so right. I think that'll so we'll, break it up. Mm. I don't think you would notice it as much. Awesome. All right, I'm going to look into it. Depend, I, was, I mean, it depends what your background color. I mean, you might, I don't know, we'd have to see. I did have a sweater in mind for the green. It was the one that has, it's a yoke sweater and it had like a... Was it the anchors? A fo- floral, a oh, simple no. floral going across the, the front. Was it two colors? It was three or four. Oh. Not tons, though. So color work up in the yoke. Uh-huh. Huh. Okay. Do you have the color? Do you have the colors for the color work? No. Remember, because oh. it was just a tiny amount, and you said, oh, I'm sure I have a little bit of blue for that, or... Ah, uh, I do. Corellia? Oh, right, right. Oh, that was the... What is that called? It's... The technique. Right. It's not intarsia. No. It's... it's I've done it on a sock. Uh... You stitch onto the top of it, right? Rusamine. No, you, it's knit into it over the top. Yeah, it's a weird, weird, funky, but actually fairly easy, fun technique. 
It's not. It's not just stitched. You're actually. You are actually working it while I believe oh, really? working it while you are knitting it. Well, but it's, it's not knit on top. It's beautiful. It is cool. And I wanted to do it in a green on green with like blue a blue flower or something like that. Yeah. But there are also. 120 other great sweaters that this is true have caught my eye since i picked out the yarn for that one so we'll see yeah cool i shall report back that's that's easel that's needle easel measle <laughs> this is our measle segment <laughs> totally <laughs> on the needle <laughs> on the measles <laughs> all right on the table that's a little easier to say I've got a couple of good ones. It has been busy. Oh my gosh, what is going on? We've got sports and arts things happening, and I just don't even know what's going on. Um, so I've been, yeah, a lot of nights just throwing something together that I don't have to think about and is not terribly interesting or even ordering out, which I don't like doing when I don't have to. But I do have a couple of good ones. Susan Spungen had a French onion turkey burger recipe on her Substack, so check that box for February. That was one of my goals. It also sounded really delicious, and the husband was going to be not home, so worked that into the rotation. You know, turkey burger. But she puts grated zucchini in there to help with the moisture. Oh, yes. That's so brilliant. It was really good. Kid didn't comment on it. So I don't know if he didn't notice or it was fine. I, I mean, I didn't taste the zucchini. It didn't taste yeah, vegetable it has, no, has no flavor. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I guess that is the problem with zucchini. And then you caramelize onions, you know, not for forever. That part takes a little while, but it's not a terribly intense process. And then um, some Gruyere, you know, deliciousness that helps cover up the, <laughs> the zucchini flavor as well. So yeah, they were really moist very tasty. She made it a fairly small amount, I think like half a pound. I just automatically doubled that because also that was when we were going out of town. So then we'd have leftover burgers for the kid so he wouldn't have to cook for himself, which, you know, someday he'll get there. So that was uh, that one I really liked a lot. Making anything French onion is just a good idea. Do we have the same recipe? We do. Oh my gosh. The crispy potatoes and mushrooms mm-hmm. from Smitten Kitchen. Okay. Was this just in her? Uh-huh. It yeah. was top of the thread last week when Kelly was here yep. and she and I are always looking at Smitten and yeah, that was That's a no brainer. Yeah. My husband loved it. So it w- I can't even remember what we do now. I mean, it's crispy potatoes. I did the, she had a, a frying and a roasting version. I did the roasting because same. I, yeah. It, I mean, and they were super crispy. They were, they and were delicious. awesome. And then sauteing mushrooms. What was, oh, it, w- it was a Russian mm-hmm. thing. And then you put sour cream and dill on them i did not do my notes very good for this one i am trying to remember and it had caramelized onions did it oh i'm sorry not caramelized but it had onions in the sauteed mushrooms yes which i normally don't do because i have historically had onion well my kids don't eat the mushrooms anyway so i just decided to try it that way but yeah yeah it was a huge crowd pleaser at our house when i was growing up and we lived on that place that the institute of world affairs Mm -hmm. i have maybe talked about this. We had Russian visitors. They made a dish called julienne. I'm probably mispronouncing it. That was mushrooms and bacon Mm. and sour cream. And it was seriously fattening. Tons of butter. And this, to me, felt like a lighter, more substantive with the potato Mm -hmm. version of that. Yeah. Not quite as over-the-top decadent. (laughs) So I guess like mushrooms... 
and sour cream. I mean, that's like stroganoff. Yeah. So it's kind of the same. The sour cream wasn't super incorporated. It was just dabbed on top. Oh, yeah. We only did a little bit, too. So not not exactly the same, but still that flavor profile. I think I served it with some sausage for for the boy. I actually, because I have that big carton of dried mushrooms, Mm -hmm. I did a cup of, well, like a big handful of dried porcini mushrooms, Mm. let that soak in hot water, and then towards the end added it all in because I'm always looking for... More, more, more mushroom. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was a really good one. And that one should be on her blog fairly, fairly recently, the past week or two. Definitely January of 2024. Yeah. Two thumbs up on that one. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I can't actually I can't believe that hasn't happened before. <laughs> I know. It is funny. Yeah. And then my final one, I did uh, Creamy Cauliflower from Vegetable Kingdom. I pulled that book out. Hasn't had it out in a while. I, this was super basic, but his way of preparing it was a little different. You rice up the cauliflower before cooking it and then steam it in some water, throw it back in the food processor with oil and salt and pepper. And I think that was it. And it just gets maybe a little water, but it just gets so creamy. So sort of an, you know, an option if you're tired of having mashed potatoes, which heresy i know but (laughs) sometimes you want something a little different uh so this was nice it was a nice little change up especially now i've got cauliflower in my produce box still and at this point in the season i'm kind of tired of it so thumbs up it was supposed to be served with smushed peas but it did not happen because it was one of those nights but the cauliflower was was good as well how about you what else have you made besides crispy potatoes and mushrooms well yum on the cauliflower i like I like mashed cauliflower, so I'm going to have to look for that one. There was the smitten mushrooms. Then I bought some grande corona beans mm-hmm. from Rancho Gordo. These things are huge. They're they like are. bigger than my thumb. Yeah. And I actually remembered to soak them. So I put them out to soak several days ago. Forgot about them. So they soaked <laughs> overnight. And then the next day... The bag said they take like three hours to cook if you've soaked them, and I trust the bag. So I started them like around 3 p.m., and I was going to serve them with this chicken curry that I've had on repeat just for like a little added fiber on the side. But I was basing it on a Delfina recipe, a Delfina white bean recipe. And I suspect that their white beans were a little bit smaller, but I do remember you could like fork one and pick it up. So I thought the Corona bean would be excellent because it was Mm -hmm. big and forkable. 6 p.m. rolled around. These things were nowhere near done. 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. The beans were still, obviously at that point, we had just eaten the chicken curry and I put some potatoes in and called it good. 10 p.m., My husband was like, that's it. The beans are still going. I'm going to bed. At 11, so what is that, seven hours? I went in and they were finally tender and cooked through. And the recipe said, (laughs) the Delphina recipe said, don't think that these beans are going to cook themselves afterward. You have to really let them cook. They have to, you have to be able to mash it with a fork. So forever in a day, I took them out, saved all of the... Bean broth. Aqua, what is it called? Oh, I just call it bean broth. Aquafave. Yes. Saved all of the aquafave. And then the next day for lunch, 
I heated up a little bit of it and finished the recipe, which said a little bit of olive oil, the aquafave. That's it. There's They're totally vegan. There's no chicken stock in them, but they have incredible depth of flavor. Yeah. So I feel like this was maybe not a complete bean turning point for me, but it was definitely, oh, like mushrooms, beans need a lot of work. <laughs> so success with the- Eventually. The Mondo, oh, that's my cable cardi. Yep. Mondo cable cardi. Royal these, Corona. The Royal Corona bean. Big white runner bean. And then last night we did the Shrimp My Way, which I've talked about before. This is from the Mark Bittman How to Cook Everything. I do it on a sheet pan. It's super fast. It's like an alternative, more of a paprika cumin version of shrimp scampi. Super easy. We had it with brown rice and a mountain of power greens. How is the kale connection going? I forget what you were calling it. Oh, yeah. Basically, I'm just sauteing it and throwing it into everything. That works. We'll see. It's like green tea at this point. It's like a part of what I... Hopefully, it's doing something. I don't know. (laughs) But my real story was that for Kelly's birthday, Kelly, my friend Kelly was out and she had celebrated a birthday the day before she flew. And so we wanted to either go out or cook in. She, she has a kind of a simple palate. She wanted beef and potatoes. Love it. Which is very doable. And so we got a beautiful beef tenderloin. We invited a bunch of friends to come up. We were going to do mashed potato, or she wanted whipped potatoes, which... I am unaccustomed. I I told her I could do them with wasabi, and she was like, absolutely not. Nobody wants my wasabi mashed potatoes, but... I'll take them. And we were going to do a tray of oven-roasted asparagus. Mm. So I had the tenderloin out, which that's what I do on Christmas, and I do three of them at Christmas, so it's... This one little one was like... Just looked all sad it's like by a itself. <laughs> baby. It's so easy to do one. We had the potatoes all peeled ready to go, and then the power went out. Now, we were really ready for this awesome feast. Yeah. And I have a gas cooktop, but my- Was she here during the storm? Uh Uh-huh. We had a major storm that I don't think people really realized how windy it was going to be. I think we had 80 mile per hour winds up on our hill. Yeah. And it was really intense and quite scary. And we lost power for- Oh, a good eight, 10 hours oh, that wow. night. So my oven is electric. My cooktop is gas. So what do we do? I had just put the asparagus in, so they were gone. Mm. You know, they didn't get anywhere near what they needed and they were pretty sad. And then how are we going to clean up from this massive meal in the dark? Mm. You know, it was not great. Potatoes were in cold ice water and we just put them on the patio because it was cold outside. The meat, I just rewrapped and put it in the fridge and the asparagus went the way of the compost eventually because we just couldn't see anything. And then we made it all over again the next Uh day. And you know what? The meat had dried out. It was like a dry rub. (laughs) tenderloin and it was amazing yeah the potatoes did fine and we put them through the ricer and everybody was happy which seemed like a is that the same as whipped potatoes ricing them i wouldn't think so i don't mind the ricer whipping seemed weird (laughs) i think i've done it i think the 
yeah, I think you have to be careful because they could get gluten. Yeah. Yeah. That was my concern. But all to say, this very simple dinner went from not so simple and then back again. And we pulled it off in the end with some horseradish cream mm. and some fresh asparagus on the tray. Super easy. It was, nice. it was major drama. So instead of having that for dinner, we pulled out all of the cheeses and crackers and all of those things that you ignore in your pantry and cupboard and made the whole cheese board with cut apples and little nice. tangerines and that kind of thing, nuts. And I had baked off the chocolate chip cookies, so thankful for that. And we played a game of wingspan. Awesome. <laughs> so it was a good night in nice. the dark with all the candles. Fun. All right, on the nightstand. Okay, we're pretty, we're kind of, eh, we're kind of sci-fi heavy. I don't, uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, but we will start off with V is for Vengeance by Sue Grafton, which I listened to. We're getting closer and closer to being done with the series. So in this one, Kinsey is about to turn 38. We are in the late 80s now and she is uh, shopping at Nordstrom's because they're having a sale which I thought was kind of funny and she notices someone shoplifting and so she goes over to the clerk and says hey they're shoplifting and the whole story goes on from there she gets involved with a shoplifting ring and there's all this other stuff going on and I had said before how they have Sue Sue my friend Sue (laughs) has been having all these other chapters interspersed from other people's point of views she had the murderer one time and then she a lot of the times it's because it's a cold case and so she's going back to when the crime actually happened and you're getting the viewpoints of people that were involved at the time this one was weird it was this sort of whole other parallel narrative that touched on what kinsey was investigating but also had absolutely nothing to do with it and it was 15 hours of audio which is a decent amount and a lot of it just had nothing to do it was just a bonus story which kind of annoyed me that's not what I'm there for. I am there for Kinsey. And it was kind of funny. At one point, the alternate narrator meets up with Kinsey and he doesn't know who she is and they're talking and they have a meeting. And so you get someone else's viewpoint of her. That part was fun. But I didn't want this other story. It feels a little bit like she got to a point in the history of books where multiple viewpoints became a thing. Oh, and she decided To try it out. To try that out, because she'd been doing this for (laughs) a very long time at this point. Uh, You know, I obviously don't know what the reason behind this new style she's gone with. I'm not loving it, Sue. Also, Kinsey was really whiny and annoying in this one. That has always been a critique. It has never bothered me. She's a very strong personality. She has very definite opinions. I Just in this one, it sort of tipped over into, "Ah, I don't know if that's quite an accurate reflection of reality. So anyway, this was not one of my most favorite. It was still an interesting little mystery. I will will continue on to the end, which is close. And one that was much more fun was Deal with the Devil by Kit Rocha. And this is the first in the Mercenary Librarians series. So obviously I had to read this. Oh my gosh. So nearish future, dystopian... Solar flares knocked out everything in the world, especially in the U.S. Corporations are in charge, and they have developed superhumans. Gene splicing, manipulation. So now you have superheroes. Nora and Knox are on opposite sides. They have both escaped from their former corporate lives. Nora has her own little group now. They they 
find knowledge and look after the people in their neighborhood. They have found a printer and scanner, and so they will make copies of books for people. So that's where the librarian part comes in. And they also kind of retrieve knowledge caches and sell them to the highest bidder to have money to support their their friends. Knox was a mercenary for one of the big corporations and didn't like the things he was being asked to do. So he took his team and left. Uh, the problem is there's like a serum that they need to have continual access to where their, their bodies degrade and they die. So bummer. So they need to get money so they can keep doing this. So he has been given a job to kidnap Nora and bring her to someone and he'll get lots of money and save his people. Obviously, they have the hots for each other. They're going on a road trip with their two teams. Lots of adventures, lots of shenanigans. Very fun. Kind of Marvel adventures meets romance. We've got some clones going on there. So a little more on the sci-fi and less on the fantasy. There, so now it's it's a whole series, I guess. Uh, so I will I will check out number two at some point, I think, because I like them. They were kind of a fun fun characters, and of course the the books our awesome theme. Uh, I can always get behind that. And then I also listened to Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher. This one, the uh, best novel at the Hugos last year, although there's some controversy about that. What's the controversy? Oh, apparently there was some skullduggery and books that should have been nominated and probably would have won were left off the finalist list so there's some questions about why that happened and people have resigned and oh my goodness there's a lot a lot going on anyway so there were like six nominees for best book i had read five of them the one that won was the one that i had not read so <laughs> i figured i should probably get around to reading it so the audio was pretty good the the narrator didn't feel quite right to me so i might have enjoyed reading it but it was it was a lot of fun. It's kind of a fairy tale. Mara is a princess in a very small country. She is the third daughter, so she has two older sisters. The first one is married off to a neighboring much stronger prince for an alliance and protection. Uh, but she dies, falls down the stairs in the castle, and her body is returned home a few months later. Luckily, there's a second sister, so we marry her off. And Mara is sent to a convent as sort of backup. Uh, but she likes it there. You know, she doesn't doesn't have to deal with people. She learns some healing and she'll occasionally go visit her sister. And she finds out that her sister's husband is not a nice guy. Mara vows revenge, runs away from the convent and meets up with a dust witch and a fairy godmother and a knight who is sort of lost his his way and a dog made of bones that she creates. They have lots of adventures and there's magic and sort of fairy tale, but more modern. Um, it was really, it was a, it was a good story. I wasn't at the beginning, I was a little unsure, but then you get into it and there were some cool characters and Mara was a, a nice heroine who kind of knew she was part of a fairy tale, but didn't feel like she should be. And she liked reading and healing. And and uh, and she's actually 30 at the time the most of the story takes place. So that was kind of cool as well. Not, you know, a 16-year-old little youngster. So Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher. And then Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson, which I also listened to. I did a lot of audiobooks, not much actual, not much book book reading. Another sci-fi so this is also going to be part of a, a series. The second one just came out, which is kind of why I picked this one up. So Kara lives in a world where they have figured out multiverse travel. The tricky part is that you cannot go to a world where you already exist. 
So we you can we can only visit worlds that are substantially the same as ours. So basically, all the people are the same. Just the history might be a little different, but mostly all the people are the same. So you can't go if your doppelganger is still alive in that world. So people who have mostly died on other worlds are very valuable because they can go to a lot of different places. That means people like Mara who grew up in the poor areas, didn't have good health care, water, food, have now become super valuable because they have died everywhere else. And Kara is, there are only eight other worlds out of like 380 that she can't visit. And a new one has just opened up. So she is sent to visit it. Something goes wrong. There's a backlash because apparently she is still alive on that world. She manages to survive. Adventures go off from there. Things are happening on her world. Adventures, plots, thickening, lots of different sections of this book. And it was it was inventive and interesting on how she made the, the people slightly different on each world. So there's sort of personality traits that people might have all through, but then something would happen in one world that'll make them take that personality trait in a different direction. Some good twists and turns. I really like this, and I think the narrator on this one did a really good job, and I'm very much looking forward to the second one, which I think has a different main character who is a side character in Space Between Worlds. And then Weather by Jenny Offill. I had read her previous book, Department of Speculation, I think, which I really liked. And this one's stylistically very similar. It's the story of Lizzie, who is a academic librarian. And she's kind of going through a crisis, I would say. She's mom to a seven-year-old and husband, has a husband. Uh, her brother lives with them. He is a recovering addict. And she takes a job, uh, an additional job, writing as kind of a secretary to her former mentor, who has a podcast about kind of climate change and dealing with doom. And so she's getting all these letters from people who are very concerned, and it, it sends her off on kind of her own spiral. And then her brother's having problems, and her marriage is having problems. And it's a very sparse kind of writing with a with some humor and these really short paragraphs, um, very internal. It's a really interesting style that I like. I don't think I like this one as much as her previous book, but partially I was reading it on the airplane and like rushing to finish it before I got off the plane. So partially on me, but really interesting. Lots of things to think about on that. Fairly short, you know, so it might, I think it might be a good book club book. I think it would have a lot of good things to, to ponder and talk about. And then The Heiress by Rachel Hawkins, who wrote the Jane Eyre retelling was her first big one. And she has continued in her gothic genre. Very fun. Jules and Cam meet and get married. Uh, they're about 10 years out now. And he was the adopted son of an heiress in North Carolina, big estate. When she died about 10 years ago, she left everything to him and he said, no, thanks, and went off to California. And But now uh, his uncle, who was kind of managing the estate, has died. So he has to go back home to sort everything out. Lots of family secrets, lots of creepiness, big house, awful family. Uh, and then, of course, Jules has his wife has some secrets as well. And then Cam has some secrets and lots of drama. Rachel does just such a fun job of making... There really aren't any good characters, <laughs> even your your lead characters are not, maybe not the best people as well, and yet. 
plus excellent atmosphere. Super fun. I think I gave it five stars. It's probably not really a five-star book, but it was just so fun and delightful. I blasted through it. Just just a romp. Love it. And that one just came out. That's her latest. So I was very excited to read that one. I just picked it up yesterday. Oh, it's good. So good. Okay, I have three for you. First up is The Invisible Hour by Alice Hoffman. This came out a year or two ago. This is a coming-of-age story about a young woman who is growing up in Boston, and she rebels against her parents, and she runs away, pregnant, to Western Massachusetts and joins a cult. And she raise, she has her baby and raises her daughter there. And her daughter sees right through all of this cult business and finds her way. The daughter is Mia. Mia finds her way to a library, which for people like us is, you know, everything. <laughs> and so she befriends a librarian. The librarian shows her different books that she might like to read. And so she's hiding books around the property of the cult. She gets in trouble for this. I don't want to give too much away because the relationships are really important to the story. But Mia finds her way to the outside world. Her favorite author has this weird, magical interlude in the middle of the book. And she goes back. Her favorite author is Nathaniel Hawthorne. And she really relates to the Scarlet Letter and how her mother was treated and how the cult functions. And there's a lot of weird connections. She finds her way to Nathaniel Hawthorne's grave in Concord, Massachusetts. And she is just like, there's this weird, timeless connection. In the Tacoma Public Library Reader Extreme. Extreme Readers Challenge. There is a category for the Buildings Roman, which is a, a coming of age trope that is often written about. I, for all the years that I spent in lit classes, I really still had to look up exactly what that meant to see if this book qualified. So, a Buildings Roman has four stages loss, journey, personal growth through conflict, and then maturity. And this novel definitely fits the bill of a great buildings Roman, especially given that it's a woman protagonist. Mm. And so I love, I love Alice Hoffman. I love her magical realism. And I loved these two characters, the mother and daughter, and that it took place in Massachusetts, which is not far from my original my place of origin, if you will. So that's The Invisible Hour. And you also can't enter for prizes. So if you say it's a building's Roman, it's... Sure. I mean, you could just pencil it in. Yes, but it seemed like a good opportunity to use the dictionary also. Mm, fair. Then I read The Kitchens of the Great Midwest by J. Ryan Straddle. And this is my book in the Midwest for the Library Challenge. Truly, I pulled this recommendation off their list. It could also count for a book with recipes because there are tons of great recipes. Well, maybe not great. It depends on what you like to eat. <laughs> There's recipes. There's recipes. So this is the story chiefly of Eva. And Eva's parents have left the building, if you will. So she is raised by close relatives and they don't tell her that she was orphaned as a baby, but she finds out in her teen years, she finds her birth certificate. 
I think that there are a lot of books about orphaned people and it makes a stereotype for them. And this book defies stereotyping of a baby who was orphaned in a really interesting and complex way. And we are introduced to Eva through not so much to Eva directly, but other people who come into contact with her. Her biological parents were huge food people. Her mom is sommelier. Her dad is was a great chef. And they were just really interested in food as an art form and as a source of connection. And Eva takes that to the nth degree. And the people who she encounters, be they great or not great, all have food as a common connection point throughout the novel. I was totally into this book to see where Eva ended up. And, and if we got any closer to her as a person, she is held at a distance. And so we just see her from the outside like everyone else. And I thought the structure was kind of fascinating. I really liked it. I loved the texture of the Midwest, the church bake sales and the weird fish that they fish out of the lake. And then it's not weird, but it is to me, you know, I'm a saltwater kid. So I just, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And then I read The Butcher's Daughter by Victoria Glendening. This takes place in the Tudor era, which is another... Love it. Another Tacoma extreme reader wicket three for three this week i know it's so good everything i've read this i think i just had one i think weather was a blue cover and that might actually be for the west portal one i really think that i built a big library list off of their recommendations so it's going to be this way for a while this is the story of agnes pepin she is a butcher's daughter and she is she gets pregnant and that that just can't be. So they send her off to the nunnery because it's it's 1535 England. And she's very Catholic because this is right before religious reform. This is during the reign of Henry VIII. And he is about to shut down all of these nunneries and monasteries and take back all of that land and property. And it's very interesting And I think Monica will get way more mileage out of the book in that regard than I did, but I was in it for Agnes. So that's where I'm going to stay focused. So Agnes is, so she's a woman. She starts her training as a novitiate. She is in a place of power in the Abbey a little bit because she can read. And that was unheard of for many women, but because her father needed her to help with the business, she was brought up with her letters and her numbers. And so that the abbess sees a lot of value in her. And there's interesting female politics happening within how that the abbess is trying to protect the Abbey from these, what do you call the... The no, I guess they're nobility or the aristocrats who are licking their chops, waiting for the king to outlaw Catholicism so that they can take over these grand abbeys and convents and and all of their holdings too. And so the abbess 
is fighting for her her stake in all of this. And she says, you know, we take care of the poor and we have all this farmland. And they're like, yep, exactly. And then they're just, you know, it's like hungry, hungry hippo and they just <laughs> scoop everything in. So that part to me was fascinating. I didn't really know or think about it in that respect, how it would be for the religious population during that time. They basically had to go back to their families or go to mainland Europe or they just didn't have that many options. So Agnes is, she is never fully indoctrinated. And when she leaves the Abbey, she knows a lot because she's been privy to a lot of these conversations with the landed gentry. And so she, when she encounters these guys later on during subsequent skirmishes, I guess, she doesn't really let on who she is and what she knows. She kind of has to, it has to be that way for her to protect herself. And I think what was powerful about this novel for me, aside from learning all of this, was having this really strong woman's perspective during this time period when even as she sees it, like women were, in her perspective, were meant for breeding, they were property and they were meant for breeding. And to be a woman who had control over her own destiny was unheard of and other people didn't know what to do with that. And that was what was so compelling about this character. I really enjoyed it. I wish that I had more of Monica's knowledge of that time, that Tudor time period, because I'm sure it would have been all the richer. Or you just get annoyed because they're getting things wrong. Oh, well, <laughs> I wasn't annoyed. I really enjoyed it. So that was The Butcher's Daughter by Victoria Glendening. But it sounds like she did a pretty good job. I so think I she did a great job. Well done, Victoria. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's it for this time. Next time we're going to do our review of Snacking Bakes, which has been pretty fun <laughs> testing this one. And until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>